on this film. Levitated by the human touch. Antonio's galloping forward, here's the pass. Antonio's through, chance to fall, what a goal! What a brilliant strike by Mikhail Antonio! Hello and welcome to another edition of the Knees Up Mother Brown podcast. I am joined as ever by my two, ch- I mean they're children basically, these my two co-hosts, my two analytics scholars, Jack Elton and Callum Goodall. Good evening, gentlemen. Are we full of energy this evening? I'm 21. I'm just letting everyone know. <laughs> basically 12. I'm actually, yeah, I'm 24 as of last week as well, so I'm pretty much oh. a fully fledged adult at this point. I'm at <laughs> yeah, I'm good, mate. I'm years good. old. Good. Um... Well, we've been away for a little while, but if you would like to get in contact with the podcast, as I'm sure you've all been chumping at the bit to do, if you want to stroke our egos and have the honour of hearing your names read aloud by me, uh, all correspondence can be sent to either the email address, which is kumbpodcast at gmail.com. You can go on the forum for the uh, for the podcast thread, uh, kneesupmotherbrown.com, kumb.com again, and well, you can tweet the boss on Twitter as well, and he'll pass things on to us. Uh, it's kumb.com. And as I'll say every time, all words, no punctuation. But intros aside, it's time to talk about wolves, really, isn't it, Jack? And that was, I guess, I've seen you, I've seen a little bit on Twitter. You sent me a picture of the shape. Not, not, not your favourite game you've watched for a while. No, it was um, bad, quite bad. Good, good in detail. <laughs> particularly the first 45 minutes. <laughs> um, I, I, As everyone who's been following the podcast will know, I, I do these sort of second watches. And usually that's a really enjoyable process at the moment because, you know, we've been quite good. Um, but doing the second watch for Wolves was, um, wow, were we wow. It was a torturous experience. Um, yeah. And I, yeah, you, you, you noted that um, I sent you, I think, two pictures where i just stopped um in the middle of watching and just gone what on earth are we doing here <laughs> um and screenshotted it just with, just to show the complete lack of organization or shape in the team in the first half um yeah it was really really not good uh particularly in that in that first 45 minutes it's interesting because I, I I think of you as my kind of formation tactical guru, and I I have no expertise at all. Callum Callum does the transfers, you do the formations. I exist, but even I could see that that was that was all wrong. I'd brought up last time we spoke about the wolves. Uh, we talked about we had talked about their shape and what that might do to us, and I felt a bit of a bit of a fool really because you it's, it's what you react to and how they play. But it yeah. certainly felt like their wingbacks destroyed us. I mean, four hours in particular. And maybe that's the worst game he's played since the early Pellegrini days where people didn't like him. Yeah, he really struggled. I mean, I think we one of the one of the key things to do against Wolves this season is, is probably to press Neves and, and Moutinho because both of them are playing quite well at the moment. And um I think we've seen we've seen Moyes use this um kind of hybrid shape where you you, you defend in a five four one or a three four three and then can attack in a in a four two three one or a three four three which looks a bit different sort of with a false nine through the middle and two split strikers that come in off the flanks and um and and kind of one of the things that that can do for you is it it gives you an additional man in the press and, and allows you to to press higher and stop balls into central midfielders i think that's i don't co- remember the press jack i don't remember the press at all uh, yeah so exactly i i think you you have to hope that's the reason why 
we did this. I mean, like uh, like I've said on Twitter after the game, he's had two weeks to set this up. So, you know, it's a good idea on paper. Um, but my issue with it is um, it being a good idea on paper aside, in practice, it's been terrible. We tried it against Brentford and got slaughtered by long balls to um, Ivan Tony, And we tried it against Genk and got absolutely rinsed in, in the first half against Genk away. Uh, Junior Ito seemed to work out. We, I, I, it's, it's not really rocket science, but if I just run into my own half and pick the ball up on the turn and get central midfielders to run beyond the press, then West Ham really don't know how to recover those situations. And again here, uh, much like... The, that, that sort of horrifying first 30 minutes against Genk. You saw a lot of the same sort of patterns um, happening. Less overcommitments from the midfielders, which is a good thing, um, but uh, where we improved on, on having less overcommitments from central midfielders, we had a total lack of interest in defending the flanks from uh, the split strikers, so Bowen and Antonio. I think that had to have been intentional um, to get the press higher up the pitch, but it, it, it had the opposite effect completely and like you said it just meant that Semedo and Nori just had the most ridiculous amount of space to to charge into and these you know usually what we do really well is having matched up 3v3s or 3v2s in the wide areas uh, and not giving people time and and here it was just 2v1 all the time um, on on the fullbacks uh, Johnson and then uh, Fornals on the other side. I, 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 it, it felt like Fornals was, wasn't playing anywhere is what my feeling was watching the game I, don't know what he, <laughs> I mean you know, it, it, he, was, he wasn't following Semedo but he would kind of be near Crespo who then Crespo wasn't marking anyone because Fornals was po- probably meant to be tracking Semedo so they were both doing no one but then he wasn't yep. getting forward down the left either. I, mean, I don't know what you noticed Carol. I mean you're going to have more, slightly more of an expert either than me I'll give you, I'll give you that but <laughs> I wouldn't say so um, yeah, man, it was just it was just uh, chaotic from start to finish, really. Like it just wasn't pleasurable. And I think after the matches we've had, I've sort of, everyone has sort of fallen into this um, comfort zone where it's like, oh yeah, we're gonna. I think a lot of people expected us to go and win, basically. And then it's a bit obviously there's always a shock factor, as there is with any good run of form. It's, it's a big. The, the longer you play well, the further you fall kind of thing. But yeah, it, it was just absolutely mental. Um, we're going to talk about the shape a bit more later on. But yeah, four nows in particular was the, the most disappointing for me. But I will, I don't want to let him off the hook too much, but I think there was also some, a lot of that has to go towards the management because they were asking him to do so many jobs that like, you, should, you can't ask him to play left wing back at any point in the game. He's not a left wing back. So clearly he's not going to perform well. Um, one thing we've picked up on before is how often he gets dribbled past in the middle of the park. So putting him in an even more defensive role is just chaos. It's never going to end well for me. I actually looked, um, you know, I've done my research here madly and uh, looked at last season and the dribble pass stats and uh, second in the league overall for um, total numbers of times dribble pass for now and also uh, top uh, by 5%, might I add, for being the worst tackler in the entire division with a an 8.5% success rate across the whole of last season. So uh, taking, by definition, the worst tackler in the entire Premier League and saying, do you know what, go and play in the defence is probably not the wisest decision I've ever seen uh, a very astute uh, manager make. That's interesting because I consider him someone who's quite good defensively and I don't know whether... Whether that's because he's positionally aware, so he doesn't, it doesn't affect him in terms of you're not seeing as, as much, or just because he's diligent, so he's always there. It's pressures, volume it's of pressures. 
It's yeah, the amount of times so. that he's willing to commit to pressing things and also his awareness of when to press and when not to press. He's not actually the most successful presser, but he's very good at picking his moments. Um, and, and he does it consistently across a whole game. So it's, that's what he's very, very good at. What he, he got credit for against Liverpool, isn't it? That he, When he chose to go, I think that was when we talked about that, it's when he chose to go and what he did led the team. Yeah, 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 exactly that. So it's strange really to uh, again I, I understand the benefits of, of high turnovers and stopping the supply into to Nevers and Moutinho I get that but to, to detract really from the things that we do well in order mm. to try and do that didn't really make sense because it stopped us I mean it, it, it completely negates all the things that we do well um, mm. normally to try and focus hyper focus in on something that the other team rely very heavily on. And when you can't then execute that plan successfully, you just end up not doing the things you do well any longer and also not being able to stop the other team doing what they do well. So it's just a complete horror show on, on every level. So yeah, for when I was at left wing back, it was a big issue. Uh, the, the spaces between Suchek and Rice in the first half are just like, uh, nauseatingly bad you've got like 20 yard spaces between the two central midfielders as, as each of them are trying to cover across to, to stop the wingbacks from having so much space and then uh, I don't I look I love Mikel Antonio but I have no idea what he was doing um, that was my next question was Antonio and what he was doing now I know we, we, we we've we've uh, you'd almost call them kind of pre-production meetings, I suppose, what we have when we talk. <laughs> it sounds really professional. For the most part, it's just occasional notes in a Twitter thread and then we talk before we start recording. But, you know, pull back the veil and all that. But um, you you were harsher on him than I was. I think in the end of my ratings, I gave him a six and you gave him a three, I said. Now, granted, I, I stick to the traditional style where six means eh. And you, you, you do a, some sort of new school where scale, numbers scale in order, weirdly. Yeah, I don't know if anyone's noticed as we talked about this pre-pod, but uh, zero to ten means zero to ten. It doesn't start at six, everyone. Not, not I mean, in fo- not ratings in don't ratings. start at six. I mean, not what's the point? Ratings. It might as well be six to ten because we never rate anyone below six unless they've literally scored two own goals and got sent off. There's so, going to be a knock at your door from some sort of old the Football Writers Association. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Take yeah, him away, boys. Six is fine. I gave Mick a three, and that's because he was below average and worse than that. So five would be average, four would be a below average performance, and three would be an actively bad uh, display. And oh. he, uh, he, for me, was actively counterproductive to everything that we did for the whole game. I will jump in and defend him a little bit, and then go to Callum so that you have to steal on it. I will. What I will give where I will give him credit is I think the. Any sort of passing to him was generally, it was uh, what, what I'd refer to as Carlton Cole days, where Carlton stood up front with about two or three defenders around him. We pinged the ball up near his head or somewhere he had to run to. And unsurprisingly, he couldn't beat all three players to it. And then it happened again and again. And because Fournals was back and because Bowen was floating around on the edge of existence for a lot of the game. <laughs> That's a really um, good description of Bowen's position, by the way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've got my I've got my strengths. Um, I, I felt I slightly felt sorry for him. But I will, you know, uh, you look at that game. We had five five defined key passes according to who scored, and he had two of them. Maybe you know, key passes is a slightly weird metric that I don't always understand, and maybe that's because last 20, 30 minutes of the game it completely changed, and he was allowed to play. But he did do that, and I do think he was let down by what was a completely failed system behind him. So I kind of almost like I've gone, eh, you've got to let him off because what, what's a man to do? 
Cal. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And the system was largely to blame, but there are some things that you kind of just expect or, or hope from, from your strikers. And he just didn't deliver on some intangibles yesterday. Like for me, a striker with 65% passing success is just whack. Like that is so poor because he's just giving away the ball 35% of the time. He's trying to release it, which is just so ineffective, especially for a team that tries to play like we do. Like, it's just not going to work. And then I think it was like 33% passes, forward passes. So that's a move just dying like two thirds of the time. It is, so, it is worth bringing up that possibly our best chance for a move was that one where he passed right at the defender when Bowen should have been through. And then the one he did get through was obviously offside, which is a bit of a shame. Yeah. I, um, yeah, go on, Jack. I, I, I would also say like we can we can argue about the system for forever and I'd probably say it wasn't the wisest decision to go for a three four three split striker system. But once you've done that, you still have to do your job. <laughs> do you know what yes. I mean? You can't just like you can't just blame Moyes and say, Well, the system wasn't very clever. You 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 should blame Moyes for the system not being very clever, but then you do have to look at what the players did with that system, mm. which was yeah. absolutely terrible. Yeah, so individual performance. Like no, the execution of their roles in the system was abysmal. Um, yeah. Most notably for Nows, Rice, Antonio, Bowen, like absolutely shocking in in the first half i don't know whether that was that's because you look at fornals has been away and then had a baby so hasn't mm. had the two weeks to work on it antonio's been away came back late rice has been ill you know if you think about the players who really struggled uh mostly the players who probably wouldn't have had the entire two weeks to look at what we were doing and to adapt to playing a, a, in a different way but particularly antonio i mean i it's it, hugely frustrating to watch in the first half where He's obviously meant to be the guy on the left of the three. You know, direct your criticism of that to Moyes. What, what on earth are you doing putting Antonio out on the left wing? But once he's there, you've got to cover back, man. You can't just stand on the halfway line and go, I'd rather be in the middle and look at Ben Rama, who's playing in the middle, and go, go, go on, can you do it again? <laughs> yeah. Can you do it again for the, the ninth right. time in the first half? He did pop up down the right, didn't he? I thought, there's no way you're meant to be there. There's no way you're meant to be there. Like, no you're on the left. There. What are you doing at right wing back? What are you doing over there? It, I, it's just so frustrating because I, that that is a non-negotiable. Once you've been told you're playing on the left, cover your wing back. Don't just stand in the middle of the pitch because you'd rather be playing striker and look at the person who's playing the false nine position and go, well, you usually play there. Can't you just go and cover it for me? It's just mm. embarrassingly poor. Um and, and and one of the only times this season where I've looked at an individual performance that's just unacceptable, like lack of effort, lack of interest in doing what you've think, been asked to do. Yeah, that's that was a big thing for me. It was like, I think yeah, you could see, it's one thing that annoys me with a lot of players. It's, it's semi-understandable, but also like, you're a professional, but you could see he was getting more and more frustrated and was trying more and more stupid stuff or like just making the wrong decisions. And it was like, just a bit petulant, like, Clearly, you're not having a good day at the office, but you're a team of 11 players. Like, dig in, do what you've been asked to do. Yeah, and just, like you say, cover your man and just, yeah, do the simple stuff, like passing a football. That (laughs) is something that that always bugs me. That does bug me. It's something that bugs me watching Harry Kane sometimes, and it's a very different team, a different person who's probably discussed. But some players, when they get on bad form, they just go and do other things. And you think, well, yeah. it's not going to help the thing that you're struggling to do yeah. because you're struggling to do the things you need to do. Why don't you just really focus on the basics of that? And, um, and this, just briefly, this is where the only player who came in, in the pressing unit out with credit from the first half was Ben Rama. 
because it wasn't working and that bloke stuck to it for the whole first half chased things covered the left side covered the right side got back to the middle and pressed he was re- he worked so hard covering other people who basically down tools because they didn't agree with mm-hmm. what they were doing and did or didn't understand what they were doing he really really went for it and tried his best to to, to plug gaps and uh, frankly I, w- I won't give him credit for this but we were very very lucky to get through to half time at nil nil and, and his effort levels would have been a really important part of that yeah yeah really I, I mean it's, it's interesting because I, I will go on to half time and then what should have changed or what hasn't changed etc and what changes we did make I did feel I, I think Ben Rama almost it's, it, it was it came a default decision to take him off whereas you'd actually thought the, the two others either side of him are playing worse you should allow him the chance to go do something different because he's obviously at least doing his basics uh, and sure. it's because i mean at half time and i'll just a quick snappy one before I'll both of you what would you have done at half time jack were you in charge i would have changed back to four two three one which seemed blindingly obvious um and i probably would have taken four nails off um i think I, I think he was playing so badly in terms of what he was doing on the ball that the, even when you push him up to left midfield, you do, it's not like he's going to become a different, you know, like he's not going to turn into the four nows that you usually see when he's playing left midfield. He's just wasn't having a good game and was playing out of position. So I would have taken him off at that point, maybe shifted Ben Rama out there who'd been playing there for long stretches anyway, because Antonio can be bothered to do his job down the left side and, and maybe brought Lanzini on at that point to try and, uh, regain some tempo control, uh, put a, a really sensible presser in there, someone who can drop in and form a three, allows us to, to, to sit in a four, five, one and just just get some control back at, at, the, at the start of the first half rather than, than, than carrying on with this kind of like, I don't know, hope that, that somehow <laughs> Wolves are going to continue to to squander opportunities. And, and, and you are a man. You're about too angry to do snappy right now, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> Callum, Callum, snappily, what would you have done yeah. at halftime? Well, luckily for you, it's pretty much the exact same thing. Uh, I think, yeah, revert to the shape that we've had success with. Why? Why change? I, I get why we changed it to try and counter it, but it clearly wasn't working. And the fact that he didn't see that and revert. So, so what you're saying? Because what I would have done was either bring Lanzini on and covered that gap in midfield so we could keep the ball or matched up and put Masuaku on and said, well, if you want to do this, why not do it properly rather than half doing it? But what I would not have done or what I would not have done was nothing. Mm. (laughs) Well, he didn't didn't do nothing. That's not true. He didn't do nothing. What did he do? He did did push four nails up. Into into a much more standard four two three one shape. It, it happened straight away from half time, and we still defended in the five four one low block. But when when they got through the first layer of the press, we stopped pressing with the three four three split strikers. We started pressing with Fornells higher up the pitch, like we usually would. Um, so he did make that change at half time. I don't think that was a. I don't think that was enough because if it left us still defending in the way we were defending, oh, I can. I can. I could, it's easy for me to say with hindsight it wasn't enough because we went and let, we Obviously went and conceded yeah. and let it go. But I suppose I suppose I'm still annoyed. I I I was really angry watching that game with Moyes, and it's the first time for a while I was angry with Moyes. Obviously, we've been good, um, but also it, we've we've lost games in the past, like Man uh, Man United, even Brentford. Maybe Brentford. I think he could have changed some things earlier, but I don't blame him for not. They were the players that he had; they're his key players. But this one, it felt kind of back to. Maybe not last season, but the season before, where he didn't—he's he, very passive, and he's—he yeah. he, he won't—he's not proactive, and he's very reactive if he has to be. 
And yeah, this to me is, is what happened, really. Yeah, and it's weird because we've said on the pod in the, in the previous episodes that we've we've started to notice a more proactive version of Moyes, and I just would not have predicted what happened. Yes, uh, against Wolves, because it's just not in line with the kind of new, well, not necessarily new Moyes, but this version of Moyes that we've seen this season, where he's he's more than happy to make changes or, um, yeah, adapt kind of fluidly as the game goes on. It was it was bizarre. It was really bizarre. Because. Oh, I suppose we should go to the goal really before we talk about the substitutions because there were no substitutions. Sure. So what in the what we it carried on the same, didn't it, Jack? The second half was just a continuation of the first half. Um, the second half, we we we, we still didn't have any any control of the game, um, and yeah, I, I, obviously, then you without the con- kind of control that we're used to, you're just kind of clinging on to the idea that when Wolves do get through the press, they're not going to make good decisions, which they were consistently doing. By the way, they were making poor decisions in the final third, but yeah, the goal. Um, we keep conceding the same goal. <laughs> It's just, it's starting to get really frustrating because it's the same goal every time. And it's another, it's another low (laughs) cutback. I'm starting to lose my mind really with this. Do you want to know what's going to make you really annoyed? If there's a team I think of that likes to get it wide and kind of cut back and put it low, it would probably be Manchester City. And (laughs) (laughs) um, unfortunately, next week. Yeah, so on the goal, just briefly uh, to explain what I'm talking about rather than just sort of vaguely point out, it, it, I think it's Pedence who gets away down the right side. And again, mm-hmm. we do this so we do this because we do it well. We flood the box to try and try and um, deal with the idea across it, like across the box. Uh, and, and that's why we're so good at dealing with those and we rarely ever concede from those. But it's Suchek this time. And I th- I'm not going to jump on the Suchek didn't play well thing because I don't think he did play badly I, th- I thought he was better than rice um and and dealt with the kind of several different position changes that he had throughout throughout the game and, and did a eh, all right job in in all of them didn't really do anything dramatically badly and also uh, created a, a decent chance for Yarmolenko if he'd been a little bit quicker he had a lovely little flick pass through the through the center of the pitch um but yeah Suchek just dropping into the box when like Jimenez is not in the box he stopped on the edge where are you going just stay with him there's no one in mm-hmm. the box what are we all covering? Why are you all running to the six-yard box when there's no one there? <laughs> Everyone's yeah. pulled out to the edge, and now you've all run away from the Wolves players, and then Jimenez has got a free shot from the It's just so infuriating, because it's you can see how ingrained it is as well, because he's slow-motion replay. Suchek looks at him and goes, no, 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 I'm told to go to the six-yard box. <laughs> so he's like still holding onto him while he's running away. It's like trying to drag him with him into the box. It's like, just stay, just stay with him. The chance that- doesn't come. It did feel kind of, it came just after we kind of had the first time for a long time where we'd got a grip of possession in their half. What I would say, I don't know, is I, the only person I really felt sorry for at that point was Fabianski, who had been kind of keeping us in the game with not only some really good saves, he'd also done some punching when the defence had been an absolute mess on crosses and the ball shouldn't have got to him. And he kind of, yeah. he'd had a, he had a good game. He did have a really good game and it's something we've said quite a lot, actually, this season. Uh, he's often been uh, the star performer when when we've had off days, for for instance, uh, he's the one that kind of consistently does stand out. Um, yeah, I was I was. <laughs> it feels weird to say I was really impressed with anyone in that game, but uh, he's maybe he stood out because everyone else was so subpar. But he definitely definitely did keep us well keep it in, keep us in it while we were in it, and then 
kept it from being worse. But yeah, he's, he commanded his area quite well as well, uh, which I think was important and will continue to be important now that Ogbon is out. Um, that sort of voice at the back, um, he's going to have to really step up and make sure he's sort of bossing that line. So, yeah. But no, I was impressed. Some, yeah, good saves. And for his, yeah, I guess maybe he knows his position is maybe not threatened, but there's obviously the pressure of Ariola that's maybe giving him a bit of a twilight year almost. Really? So we, we got that goal and almost immediately Moyes thought I, I should probably do something about this problem we've been having then. Yeah. Um, I, I, I thought Lanzini was, I mean, it's a different game. And I think there are some people who are tempering their, their praise or compliments of Lanzini because Wolves changed what they were doing. And Wolves, I did feel that like they dropped off. And I don't think anyone, I don't think he's going to get any credit for that happening. But to me, Callum, I thought Lanzini was really, really good and helped relieve so many things that we were struggling to do. Yeah, well, I think it was just, of yeah, like we've said, we would have brought him on at half time. It was obvious that we needed an extra body in there to kind of, we were struggling so much to retain possession in the middle of the park. That To be fair to them, both their centre mids played really well. I thought um, Neves and Moutinho had really good games. Great um, form. And well, that it's, pass, it's, that Neves pass on the edge of the box. Oh, they're yeah, in great exactly. form. They're in ridiculous yeah. form, the pair of them. Um, and it's not often you, we say that, like we've got so used to Rice and Suchek being like one of the best sentiment partnerships in the league. And, and quite often they don't struggle to to dictate the play from the middle. But yes, the weekend, they really came up against it. Um, and yeah, there was just no real outlet, like Jack's already mentioned quite rightly, the gaps between not only Rice and Suchek, but between the back line in the midfield and the midfield and the attack at various different intervals in the game. There was just never any hope. Like you need that sort of in between, which is which you get when you play the four four two three one because you have that sort of floating ten ish kind of thing, but never really feels like a ten in that system, like an archetypal ten anyway. But it links, it helps link that play, and especially when we're playing on the counter as much as we do, those link ups are so important. Um, I think the only time we really saw anything remotely attractive was the 12th minute when there was like a few one touch passes and it was like knocked in. I was like, Oh, okay. We're going to play like that today. Yeah, boy. And then, Oh no, it didn't happen. We had a lovely Um, first 15 and then we were just. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. um, Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it was just, yeah, painful to watch and so obvious to see that he needed to come on and he did do well when he came on and it did change the, the tempo of the game and we had a lot more possession after he came on as well which is kind of the perfect case in point that that was a needed move it's just a shame it happened so late but what I, what I think where I guess people are criticizing Suchek is when he's under pressure he doesn't have much elegance or grace he doesn't do things he doesn't pop balls off quickly and there's I don't think there's anyone better in our team Jack than Lanzini for give go give go constantly being the option he'll give you the ball and he's already moved to make sure you can give it back to him Others maybe run away. Lanzini yeah, yeah. runs where you want him to be if you're not maybe the, the greatest passer under pressure. Well, Lanzini's not only the best at what he offers in the squad, he's probably the only member of the squad mm. that offers that very specific skill set. Um, I, I don't want to be too harsh. It's going to sound harsh on Lanzini, but I think you could have almost put an animated training cone in that position and it would have been better than what we were doing before. <laughs> so I don't want to be, you know, like, yeah, Lanzini, woo. But also just the system change is really the key thing. It's not it's not Lanzini being uh, remarkable individually. It was all right. He, do, he did what he does well uh, and helped us control, regain some control of the tempo, brought in with a couple of nice interceptions and tackles. He's good at that. And, and that's that's what he did. He didn't do anything remarkable, but 
him coming on is exactly what we needed just to regain some control of the game. I, s- I suppose the argument is, I guess, is can we we don't really have anyone else who can. It, it's almost it had to be Lanzini to do that role because we Ben Rama can't. He doesn't. It's not how no. he plays. He bursts off, doesn't he? No, he's like, like I said, he's the only member of the squad that can do that. It's as there is no one else in the squad that, that can play that role. Yeah, well, we've not seen Vlasic play in the tenure. <laughs> yeah, but, but could Vlasic recover like into a sort of a defensive no. field thing? No, no. So. It's interesting to see that some people want Lanzini playing over Suchek in the next game, which I, I think is probably not going to happen because we're going to defend a lot in... Uh, we're going to defend a lot against City and Suchek is going to... I, yeah. I, you, you just have to get over it, mate. It's people don't... There are certain types of things that people see and don't see, Jack. And people don't see those kind of... I think... I think there's, embedded there's, defensive work. Yeah, like dro- calling for dropping Suchek and bringing Lanzini is, is a weird shout, but I think there could maybe be calls for maybe developing more of a 4-3-3 system than a 4-2-3-1. I just, I think sometimes our midfield system looks tired and we don't have like a plan B. There should have been a plan B yesterday and it kind of did become a 4-3-3 situation when Lanzini... There was a bloody plan B. He just didn't do it. I'm sorry. Well, well, yeah. This is, it's driving me mad this season. Stop blaming Suchek when we don't play well. It's not his fault. No, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. It's interesting. It is interesting. He hasn't scored the goals, so it means he's immediately bad. The goals were kind of a bonus, really. The goals were, he wasn't just, he wasn't Fellaini. It's like, you've always got, (laughs) everyone's always got to have someone to blame. Oh, yeah, yeah. What's annoying about it is he's not even the worst defender. (laughs) He, he's mm. he's nowhere near the worst defender. He's been quite good this season. Yes. Yeah. It's fine. There's nothing it's, wrong with Suchek. It's profile. It's profile of what he's done, and if the the profile of what he's done is dropped, so it doesn't. It just yeah. it's it's how it's affected. Uh, what, what that has gone is calls for Lanzini to to come in for Ben Rama, which is a little bit unfair. And also, I think will if you're not happy with how Antonio played against Wolves then you're certainly not going to be happy how Antonio plays when he doesn't have Benrahma to do his pressing for him. Mm, precisely that. Good because Lanzini well, doesn't get up and do it. He just doesn't. He's a different player. Yeah, so it's, know, it's, it's an interesting balance. I get... Yeah, I get the calls for Lanzini to come in. I think it's probably deserved. But it is tricky to say who to drop because they all have their roles... That when they when they actually perform them, is good. Yeah. But it's just, unfortunately, at the weekend, it's easy to make those calls now because just basically no one did their roles effectively. Yeah. Um, I don't know if if you're going to make sort of reactionary uh, decisions based on that game, then I don't see why people aren't calling for for now to be dropped for Lanzini. Really, like yeah. that would be the obvious choice if you're going to be that reactive. But yeah, I don't know. I just yeah. It all seems a little bit um, fatalistic. Like it's one result. Um, it's one game. We played a different system, everyone. <laughs> we don't need to drop the whole team for crying out loud. Just go back to what we did before. We were good. That's, that leads me really well onto apparent calls that some people want Sue Fowl back in over Johnson. <laughs> Jack, what do you what do you think? I have a feeling I might know. <laughs> Stop it, everyone! It's so annoying. Sorry, Ben Johnson was fine. He played well. He's probably one of the best players. Why, why have we got to drop him? I would, because he's yes, young. It's, be, it's because people... It's interesting because I saw someone saying Wolves pushed us to giving Cresswell the ball, which is nonsense. Cresswell always has, if not the first amount of touches and passes, the second to Rice. He always... He yeah. is our outlet. That happens. Johnson is seen as having a slightly, slightly poorer passer out from the back. And he does... I mean, his passing accuracy was the lowest in the team, except for Fordell's Antonio, because they were awful. 
But I thought, again, defensively solid. I don't think Eight Nori was his problem because Eight Nori was coming in that system, not to him, really. We had infinitely less problems down that side than the other yeah. side, and that says everything anyone needs to know. How many chances Anywhere. did they create down that side, everyone? So that, Not many. That part, Leave that part of the podcast. That part of the podcast will move on from then. <laughs> that's done. Um, yeah, yeah. Move, move on. Did, I've got nothing did, to add to that. Any, anything on Vlasic and Yarmolenko? The use of them, Vlasic in general. Again, people. Well, I will. I will give him credit before we talk anything more. He kept up with Triori on that counter attack really well for someone I didn't think was that fast. Yeah, it was good. It was a nice little recovery run. Shame it was the only thing he did well in the whole game. <laughs> yeah I'd, uh, I don't know I'm just growing frustrated with it like I obviously wanted him to come in and do really well but he's to be fair he's not I still don't think you can expect him to just hit down and be a sick player when he's getting these dead cameos but fully on uh, fully yeah, agree yeah, yeah. with that but, I couldn't agree more it's it's uh, I'm harsh on him but I, I, I said myself on Twitter that you, you you can't build any momentum playing 20 minutes here and there. It's just stupid. It does, it does feel like he never gets to play if we're playing well. It, does, it doesn't yeah, get to play if we play well. And well so he's meant to save the day every time we play yeah. badly when he's not had yeah. any run of game. So it's just ludicrous and to expect that. position as well. Like yeah. he's, he's literally said the reason he left Everton is because he was being played as a winger and he wasn't able to thrive. So he had to leave. And now we've brought him back and we're just forcing him to play 20-minute appearances as a winger. Like. Yeah, I don't know. It's just good poor use of, man management. Good use of thirty million. I will, I will give Yarmolenko credit. He was frustrating as he always is with his meandering play, but he did look again. He does bring an intent to go towards the actual goal, which I quite like. Because some mm. of our players do mm. not look like people who want to go <laughs> towards the goal. I know it's it's really difficult because he's very annoying and he tries things that in our system don't work. But I do like him as an alternative in that respect. It's all I will give him credit for. You know what? He runs towards the goal though, but then he always gets there and does a step over and passes it back. Yeah. So it kind of just nullifies the whole movement. Yeah, so it's but, kind of. Uh, I at least I like the intent because we have to. We have games sometimes where you think these people just want to run around really fast, not going at the fucking. I swear. <laughs> and sometimes if it just look, it's not worked for 70 million lads. why don't we try and go out the why don't we just think maybe we have to test them really basically i think my favorite moment of the whole game in terms of it being frustrating was when yarmolenko you know he t- he, sometimes he just gets that look about him that he's going to do something special and he was dribbling away down the right and he cut inside and it's like hold on a minute what's antonio doing being the defender he's just covering every angle he tries to run into it's like he did he did block what him are off. you doing mate it, it was he did make some space at that point if it doesn't matter because antonio's just in the way yeah he like, shadowed the entire run like he was playing left back yeah uh, you, you do you do sometimes think to yourself well, how, how do you how do you find an alternative to, to antonio you go well look what he's just done and think it probably isn't that hard sometimes i don't know i think the most concise way to sum up the the whole wolf thing is what do west ham do when antonio doesn't play well it's like yeah. what on earth do we do when he's having we, such an off game it's like how do we react to that and we had nothing at i all. suppose that's that's where you have to criticize or the retinence uh, to buy a, a different striker because we we don't have options. And I don't think Moyes really likes using Vlasic and Yarmolenko either. So suddenly you're looking nope. at the whole bench thinking you don't want to change anything in attack other than Lanzini, who isn't, isn't really an attacking move. It's almost a defensive move to help the attack get the ball a bit. Imagine how you would have felt if we'd had Arnautovic to bring off the bench. 
Oh, I, I mean, I banged on about it all summer, but he's apparently, even though everyone in the dressing room likes him, he's too bad an influence. So. No, I'm not sorry. It's not, it's not about Arnautovic specifically. It's just no, like there's a striker who's <laughs> yeah. at the level, who's yeah. not necessarily remarkable, who wouldn't necessarily be demanding to be the first name on the team sheet. Oh, no, they I do was, exist. Yeah. And imagine if we had someone like that in that situation to bring off the bench. Suddenly there's a whole load of options that were not available in that game that can change it in our favour. Maybe we don't even have to start Antonio when he's tired and he's been in a private chair. Uh, Callum, we... Hello. Hello, hi, how are you? (laughs) Um, We we, we had a little bit of a change, obviously, at the centre-backs. And Kurt Zuma went down to the left. What do you think? I mean... We'll start with Kurt Zuma and I'll go on to Craig Dawson because Jack's quite angry and I, I can feed him that to keep him going. But, Kurt. Yeah, yeah it was <laughs> ugly. It was ugly. Um, but, again, I'm not going to jump on his back because he's being asked to do something that he shouldn't really be asked to do. Like, uh, go. Well, I don't think he should have to go to the left centre-back role if he's a right-sided centre-back and we've got a left-sided centre-back on the bench. Like, it, it's a roll of the dice. Do you play Dawson? Do you play Diop? And we all knew Moyes was going to play Dawson because I feel like he almost feels kind of indebted to him because of how well he played at the end of last season. Maybe trust him more. But clearly, like, watching Zuma, like, it just completely stifled any sort of build-up play at all because the whole passing dynamic is off. He's, like, he's off balance. He looked he looked scared of the ball when it was coming down because he had to, like, control it out of his feet, adjust his body shape. Like, the fluidity is just gone and then if you've got a centre-back who's essentially lack, not even lacking in confidence just like I say just kind of afraid and overthinking things it's never going to work it's never going to end well at all um, and yeah it kind of it was it was marked in the numbers like he had considerably worse defensive dual rate I think it was around 50% which you don't want your centre-backs like losing half of their defensive duels like that's another we were talking about intangibles and that's that's got to be one from a centre-back and it's uncharacteristic of him but playing at the left-sided centre-back is uncharacteristic of him as well like it's not I don't want to be too harsh on him because I think as other mistakes have been it's a system thing but I guess you you can look at long balls played out of defence he played three two of them accurate Ben Johnson eight three accurate Craig Dawson eight three accurate Cresswell seven too accurate. He obviously wasn't. He was doing something different to the rest of them, but maybe he also didn't feel comfortable to to use do anything quickly and forward because he had to move the ball, come yeah. inside, and make things yeah. hard. For He'd him. have to use his left foot for that, exactly, which he doesn't have. Also, can I just like <laughs> jump in on just briefly on you're intangibles? Go, you're going to. You're, you're going you, to. <laughs> it's, I, I love the use of intangibles. I know it's not the word that you mean to be using, but it, it makes the centre back sound really mysterious. <laughs> Like, yeah, no, it's not intangible. It's a real it, intangible. Right? That you've got to play the ball with the left foot. It's like, whoa. Think, yeah, no, yeah, not intangibles. That's like, yeah, the thing. Non-negotiables is what. Non-negotiables. That's exactly the word. Yeah, um, defensive jewel rate is a non-negotiable. No, it's a real intangible, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, ethereal. It's ethereal. <laughs> I was, I was uh, shocked at how bad Zuma was when he's asked to make play off the left foot. It was like literally, wow! It's like properly a wooden peg, and it like, just looked like you're going to fall over every time you got past with it. And um, and yeah, any situation where Dawson becomes the main playmaker is um, a nightmare. It's a it's 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 a, it's a situation you don't want to be in. Uh, it's a situation you yeah. cry about afterwards. Um, they played exactly the same amount of passes. However, I don't remember Zuma just decided to pass the ball to Wolves players for no reason under no pressure. <laughs> 
no, see, look, the thing is about Craig. <laughs> look, I really like Craig, but he like he's your mate, Craig. Look, he's <laughs> like James Collins, and I like James Collins yeah. too. It, he's gonna make a mistake or three, and they're going to be bad. The opportunity to. But everything else that he does is going to be great. So, like, you had Zuma, who was really kind of flopping on all levels as a centre-back, and then you had Craig Dawson, who was like, right, I'm going to do 10 minutes of playing excellent, and then I'm going to do something really stupid, and then I'm going to go back to being excellent again for another 15 minutes, and then I'm going to do something really stupid again. So, it's mm. you know, I think both all, are bad, but all I can it's really kind remember. of difficult to argue which is worse. All I can really remember from his game is that pass to, to the Wolves player under no pressure that he didn't need to do that was stupid. And then when Jimenez did that really fancy trick and he took him down and the fancy trick was he kicked the ball forward. <laughs> yeah, and Dawson reacted by trick. just kicking him. He yeah. kicked him with the ball had gone a long way. And it just, just Sometimes, I mean, Jimenez I thought was really good and I thought he's a really intelligent striker and I like watching him. Also, actually, it was Dawson who kept Jimenez on side for the one-on-one he should have scored where he was five yards. Uh, Dawson did that twice in the game, but my favourite Dawson moment was actually right at the end when we were pressing for an equaliser and the ball got cleared and Dawson had like a 10-yard head start to get to it and play it back. And he 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 kind of had those one, one of those moments where he's like, do I turn and play it forward? Do I play it back? I don't really know what I'm going to do. Shit, there's someone right behind me. Let me clear it into Rosette. Wait, it's yeah. 1-0 and we're losing. We needed an equaliser. What have I just done? And yeah. I really liked Rice just in the middle of the pitch. He had, a, had an off game and I kind of didn't like all the kind of gesticulating at people every time he made a mistake. He gave the ball away a couple of times and then looked really angrily around at everyone yeah. else. It's like, well, that was your fault, mate. But at, at that moment, uh, when Dawson kicked it into Rosetta to clear the ball for no reason, he just had Rice had run out of energy to be really frustrated with everyone and just sort of turned around and just slumped. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when a Sim hasn't eaten enough food and it's he should have pissed himself. I know people talked about uh, frustration. A lot of them stormed down the tunnel very angrily, apparently. Yeah. Uh, Zuma and Rice both yeah. straight down the tunnel. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, yeah, it just was a bad day at the office, wasn't it? Well, sorry, well, I did interrupt you, Kenny. You were going to say Dawson. No, yeah, no. I was just going to say that he also had 50% defensive draw rate. So when you're, when you're centre-back pairing... Uh, making 50% of their jobs. That's hideous. Um, and then the only other thing I had, yeah, both had more ball losses than usual. Zuma 9, Dawson 8, which again, pretty terrible uh, as a pair. Yeah. And then another non-negotiable. <laughs> uh, or less non-negotiable, slightly negotiable. But more I think of an intangible. For- yeah, yeah. <laughs> moving forward, uh, Dawson had yeah, 76% forward passing, which is just butters like that is something that if we're looking at bringing other people in that's something we've got to, got to nail down on like you, that, usually that i ask be. you usually ask you questions on what words you mean when you say things as an analytical person as a 32 year old man what is butters <laughs> <laughs> because I'm, uh, not gonna be, I'm not gonna be the oldest person who's heard you say that so if i yeah. don't really i think it means bad but... yeah Ugly, ugly, ugly. Oh, your target oh. audience, Cal. This is the Things Up Mother Brown podcast. <laughs> well, we were it's talking about education. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I would not let a child in my classroom say something was butters to me. Wow. I'm not going to let you do it either. <laughs> uh, so, what we're saying was Wolves wasn't very good. Yeah, pretty yeah? much. Yeah, is that, is that, yeah. that's my summation. Back to I front, do... not very good. Although I do want to make one point. Let me just make one point. When we switch oh. to the four-two-three-one in the second half 
it was all right, you know, everyone. It was fine. The, the last 30 minutes were fine. We, mm-hmm. we struggled in the final third, but construction was pretty good. We dominated the game pretty nicely. Um, generally, us or them? Us, like the spaces they, that we got into. They didn't, they didn't, it wasn't because they scored and kind of decided to... No, 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 no. Their mentality changed when they scored, but to be able to force them that deep for so long is a good mm. thing. Uh, we really struggled once we got to the final ball, but everything else was kind of nice for the last 20, 25 minutes. I think, you know, while it's a bit disappointing to go away to Molyneux and lose 1-0, there are positive... Uh, there's a positive to take from it and that as soon as we went back to doing what we do and what we do well it it was all right it it wasn't as dramatically bad it wasn't a good performance but it was all right sort of like Leeds was all right for the first 45 minutes Mm -hmm. there was some bad moments and some good moments it was just all right they're not a bad team either it's not like we've gone to Norwich away and got five wins in six in the league like or something like that yeah Yeah, they're in good form they're playing exciting football like and the bonus would be that Man United lost Arsenal lost, Brighton didn't, well, they lost as well. I think everyone beneath, even Palace drew, anyone who could be looking to Leicester a mess. My my lovely Arsenal as well, going on like a nine-game run against teams at the bottom of the league, thinking they're the best thing since sliced yeah. bread, and then come up against someone who can play football and getting absolutely slaughtered in classic Arsenal under Arteta fashion. Yeah, it was quite yeah. fun, that. Uh, it, 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 was, it was a palate cleanser. No, no, I was just taking the... (laughs) No, the only other thing that I remember of note before we move on was that um, slightly sweet little eight-nary free kick where he, like, ran over the dummy, turned around and then whipped it in on his own foot. I was like, what the... I've never seen that before. It was sick. I've only ever seen that on (laughs) FIFA years ago where you could do that. And also, clearly, none of our defenders had seen it because the ball flew over the wall (laughs) still. And then Kilman took the ball down and volleyed it under no pressure. It was, I mean, if that was something... to be fair. Yeah, he did really well. If anything sums up our day, it's the fact that he did that. We all stood still from the free kick because we, and usually we would react really well to something. And then when he had that, well, defensively, they're pretty sharp on set pieces, Jack. I think, sorry, I was just trying to think of who's... Oh. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think whose fault it was. I think it was Ben Johnson, right? Like two oh, years I thought it went over Dawson, but... No, you know, who plays him on side? It could have been the keeping him on side. He I might have Johnson moved. On the far side he might have moved, yeah. I, I mean, I would quite... I, I don't understand why we haven't looked at the Serie A thing and think, actually, maybe we should stop defending deep into the box like they do in Syria, but... That is a different discussion. Just but keep I calling it Serie A, mate. I really yeah, I know. I, I do it, and I do Serie A, and then I go, oh, well, it is Serie A. It doesn't really matter. That they're, is they're Italian. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and on that note, let's move on from that section. Right, well, we can move on rapidly to Vienna. Uh, oh. Jack, thank you. Score predictions. Do you think we're, think we're taking all, all the points reaction from the last game? Um, yeah, I, I, I think we'll do all right. Uh, they're not doing very well. They're still not doing very well. Uh, better than last time we played them, but still not great. And um, yeah, I think there are some players that can come in and will want to make an impact. Vlasic will have something to say, I hope. Yamalenko too, I hope. Masawaku, you know, I think, yeah, positive result. Uh, what about you, Callum? Yeah, yeah, I agree. I can't really see us. Well, gosh, touch wood. Um, but yeah, you we haven't just said that. Yeah, <laughs> just said that. Uh-oh. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, positive result. And I want to see at least Vlasic start. I'd love to see 90 minutes, but probably not. But yeah, I want to see him do something or at least be given the opportunity to try and do something. I'd like I'd like to see Vlasic in a, in a 10. Let's yeah. Say. yeah. Or, or actually, I still think he could play. 
I still think he could play as a striker instead of Antonio, but you know, what do I know? Um, I, I think we'll react and win because we'll need to, um, which leads us on to, I know, I know. He's just predicted a win. I know. I know. Crazy. What's going on? Crazy. I predicted a win in the last Europa League game, by the way. Um, Someone get so... me a glass of warm milk. <laughs> oh, that was traumatising, Chris. <laughs> 21 years right. 21 years old, you've never had a glass of warm milk. Um, <laughs> drop a gin in it for the infection. Uh, City then, we've got City. The City's due. I, I don't really want to talk about City. Yeah. If you if you thought I was positive before, I think we'll lose three or four against City. But on the floor, off to you, Callum. I don't think it would be that bad. I don't expect us to win. Um, but yeah, the, I mean, we've given them a game before, and it wasn't like a weak team. We so why why can't we do it again? In theory, um, I think they'll probably play an even strong. Jack's burning to go. They'll play an even stronger team, but. Uh, it'd be more interesting to see how we set up because we've seen how we set up against Wolves. Is this indicative of Moyes turning back to the I'm scared of teams kind of thing? It's a bit fearful. Um, the one thing I'm I'm really, really concerned about is we got overran in midfield against Wolves and they play quite wide wingers. City play wingbacks that come in and pack that midfield out. So if we got overrun by Wolves, I'm fearful of what Cancelo's presence in the middle could be and how yeah. we track that because um, it's quite complex and, and maybe we're not best set that, to do that. that. That assist at the weekend was... Mm. Yeah. Gorgeous, yeah. gorgeous. City, a... um, City are not really doing threes and fours this season. Um, so no, I, they haven't yet. I don't really think threes and fours. Um, Someone's and... got to have one eventually. <laughs> Uh, mm. no, it's true, but uh, no, is Kevin De Bruyne's not fit. Is no, that right? no, he's he's got COVID. To eat. I think he's two weeks. So, we won't um, be back so no, week De, he's not in great form, but no, De Bruyne, um, which you know helps. Um, mm. I I don't think it will be some kind of walkover. I think we played badly against Wolves. I don't necessarily think that this gives way to some kind of run of terrible form. It's, it's a bad game, um, yeah. but generally our form is really positive. Um, and like Cal said, we gave these guys a game. Um, before already this season uh, with a with a second string team admittedly against their second string but even so um you know that's still a huge disparity in, in quality um so i i i'm not confident um but i i i'd say we'll give them a game i'd say we'll i don't think it'll be a walkover at all if do you think we'll make changes uh what well, from the wolves team um i don't think there will be any changes from the Wolves team for the City game. Um, I, well, think, I, I think he's going to play Dawson, which I think Cow is going to be really upset about. I yeah. think Dawson will almost definitely play um, in the City game. Diop will definitely play in the uh, Europa League game against Rapid Vienna. Um, I, know, I know that seems mad on paper, but mm, probably less chance to make play... Uh, I'm trying to find a, a way to to excuse it. Um, he played well in the cup game against them, I suppose. Yeah, look, if, if I'd it's... rather Diop played, I think. But look, I think I, you asked me what I think will happen. Yeah. I, I think yeah. Dawson will play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sadly, I, I think I agree. Um, I don't know if we'll play the five kind of weird pressy system. I don't no, know if I, we'll do yeah. that. I don't know if we'll go back to the four-two-three-one. I hope we do, but I don't know if Moyes sees that and thinks, "Yeah, we, we've got enough confidence in that system to go and take it to see." Probably not. Um, but yeah, I, the Diop thing—I think he should start because I don't. 
it's not even just because I don't think Dawson was good enough. It's, it's like the combination of you then have to put Zuma at left centre back, which clearly didn't work, as well as Dawson playing badly. So, and if, you, if you're going to ask Zuma to do that job again, then I just think it's silly when you have someone who's naturally able to play. And there's not that much of a disparity between Diop and Dawson for me. I suppose, I suppose the, you, you're working out if Dawson in your mind is 5% better than Diop, but Zuma <laughs> becomes 5 to 10% worse a defender. Your maths would be that Diop Zuma makes more yeah. sense, basically. And it's just more like I don't know, like long term as well. If we're if we're currently in a position where we're having to think about maybe buying a left sided centre back, which we're going to have to do anyway. But if you can get a, ch- a tune out of Diop and Zuma, that's a good partnership if it works. So why not give it a go? Why try and force a partnership between Dawson and Zuma when Dawson's like nearing the end of his career? Like it's just dumb. But that's, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm getting angry about it. <laughs> it's dumb! I hate yeah. it! I, yeah. I, wonder, I, I do wonder whether he'll think of Lanzini, because he, he he does sacrifice Ben Rama quite readily. But I, yeah. I, I would I would expect the same 11. Do you want to do yeah, I would too. I, I, and I wouldn't be surprised if the if the five two three comes out again, but with Antonio through the middle and Ben Rama on the left, um, and le- not split strikers, but more of a more of a standard three four three. I would hate it, but I, I wouldn't be shocked. Mm. I suppose it often because it's, 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 our, our systems do look slightly different. I would guess just because they'll have more of the ball and the, so it changes how we play genuinely anyway. Yeah. I, I wouldn't just hate it very... as much if he plays like, I don't know, Cresswell left centre back, Masuaku left wing back, rather than trying to force one out to play some defensive team again. Yeah. Like, at least yeah. if we're going to try That's it, what I do it properly. Time. Like, if, if yeah. you're committed to that system and you think it's more defensively sound and it's going to see the opposition better then fine but don't try and shoehorn players into positions that they're not fit to play like because you're just you're damning yourself to a poor result from the off yeah I agree um, look let's hope he plays 4-2-3-1 and um, and maybe we see the up come in and, and we can play the ball out from the left again and do what we do well uh, and to our strengths again. I think yeah. that's all ever, anyone ever wanted last year when we felt like we came into those big games. Play to our strengths and at least test ourselves and see what worked. I mean, it worked against... Well, that's it. Because at least if you lose that way, it's kind of like, oh, well, at least we we tried. Whereas losing exactly. against Wolves, you come away from the game and go, well, what could have been? Because if we'd have actually played to our strengths, we might have won. Rather than the... if we just got beat because they were better than us. Yeah, and that's fine. the thing that's so frustrating about the Wolves thing is it's not Man City, it's Wolves. I know they're playing well, but like, God, let's just like, do what we do. Why do yeah. we have to adapt ourselves beyond description mm-hmm. so that we can't even really recognise ourselves anymore to try and stop Nevers from playing long yeah. balls to Jimenez? Which, which didn't work. No, which he <laughs> no, did anyway. It's yeah. just so intangible, guys. It's just so intangible. <laughs> <laughs> and on, on, on mm. such a note, I think we can wrap up there. Um, those of you who want to listen to more we will be having a little bit of extra transfer talk on the audio podcast the video podcast is ending here the audio will have some centre-back and striker talk tacked on by some sort of editor who's going to do some more work than me from a past discussion uh so if you've uh, if you've watched this and you think oh, i certainly missed that guy talking thanks you could hear a little extra bit and I say little, probably about 30 minutes or more, probably quite a lot more on the, uh, on the audio podcast. Um, but if not, thank you for joining us and we shall speak to you and see you next week. Goodbye. It's what, a month and a half before January opens. Jack, what would you do? Were you in charge of the transfers at West Ham? Well, most importantly, I think seeing as uh, Ogbonna's injury looks like it might be serious, I don't think you can, you can continue with three centre-backs 
um, for the for the rest of the season. So I think we would have to bring in a centre back. Um, not sure whether that's a loan or a permanent, but um, I, d- I definitely uh, would look at centre back first um, over everything else. Striker probably comes second. Um, just to make sure we've got that covered in case of injury. I'm not entirely sure about, I mean, I think there is a plan in terms of covering it. I think people could play as a false nine, but we would have to kind of change system. Other people's roles would have to change. And then that potentially changes the kind of positive momentum we've got going at the moment. So maybe looking at a striker who could come in and just play a a similar role, at least to Antonio. And then definitely number 10 for me, I think it's probably quite controversial as a take, but I still think uh, number 10 would be a huge priority of mine. Um, over over other areas um i think that we have got good options in that area but i still think that those players are not um consistent enough or good enough um as some of the other players at the top end of the pitch that we've got um so i would be looking at a number 10 potentially um someone who could take on that role uh in the short term and then to to bleed in um other players over the next season or so um so those would be my three what about you cal yeah, I agree with two. Uh, I think centre-back, yes, agree. Uh, we definitely definitely need to bring in a centre-back. I think that was already quite high on our shopping list before Ogbonna got injured anyway, just because he's getting on, he's old. Um, his contract is expiring, though. I think we he's expect one year to be- older than me, but yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's old. Uh, <laughs> um, but I think... We expected him to be given an extension prior to the injury based on his form and his importance in the team. And now that's a bit up in the air because if the injury is really serious, then I guess question marks would loom over that. Um, but in terms of longevity, we need to bring someone in um, as his su- eventual successor anyway, really. Um, so, yeah, left-sided centre-back, um, probably left-footed as well, to be honest, just to get that balance right. But, I mean, there are left-sided centre-backs that are right-footed and, and do play there. So. Um, Striker as well. I mean, that's something we were all calling for in the summer. And I think we were all very surprised that we didn't bring in a striker. Um, to be honest, I think we're riding our luck a bit. At the, at, whenever you don't have a second striker, you're always riding your luck, particularly with Antonio's injury record. So bringing in a striker has to be priority for me, I think, uh, secondary to the centre-back. And then about the number 10, I'd, I think long-term, yes, but not in January, because I think... We're not going to do that much business in January. I can't imagine. And I think those two have to come first. And I think having Lanzini, Vlasic, Fornals, Ben Rama, who can all play that role for the remainder of the season is probably enough. And then that's a position we can prioritise in the summer once you can uh, make a few more moves than you can in January. And then it's a bit easier to buy and sell. Um, I think that would be it. Probably just the two, maybe a left back. But again, I think I'd be looking for a left back in the summer, maybe, because I just think there'd be more players available. Like the the level of left back we need to bring in um, isn't going to be available in January. Um, And if we're just bringing in a left back because we can bring one in in January, then that's just stupid. that's, That's poor squad management. So you've both unsurprisingly kind of identified a striker in that, considering the last few windows we've had. Um, when when we're looking at a striker, when the club is looking for a striker, what what is it that they should be targeting? What is it that you're looking for, Jack? Well, you're not going to be able to replace Antonio directly. Uh, he's got a very uh, 
specific and unusual set of skills combined, which I suppose is what you get when you convert a winger into a striker. And um, I'm not sure that we'd want to look to do that all over again by buying a winger and hoping to convert them from that position into being someone who can play up front. But one of the key things... um, that you need when you play up front for West Ham under Moyes is to be good on counter-attacks and one of the ways that you can identify that was, would probably be with uh, dribble and dribble success and also progressive carries so making sure that you can keep hold of the ball when you're dribbling forward and also that you can dribble it across distances on, on counter-attacks. You, you've kind of looked at names and you've been looking in depth at kind of names you've done your models as well which we won't get too far in depth into Cal so what, what were the things that you identified at least? Um, so Jack's obviously picked up a few there, and, and those are those are actual metrics that we can filter for. So progressive runs, progressive uh, carries, stuff like that. That's all stuff that we can search search by. Um, but on top of that, uh, when I build my model, I, I want someone who's very involved in the attack, but not just in terms of goals. So like obviously, shots per ninety, shots on target per ninety, goal conversion rate, stuff like that. But um, Antonio is obviously more than that. He's more involved in the attack. So stuff like shot assists per 90, key passes per 90, um, that's all really important stuff as well. Uh, And then obviously expected goals and expected assists. And then basically the way we go about it is we just chuck all that into a search engine, filter out, and then it will bring up supposedly suitable players. Um, And then we go about picking and choosing who we think is appropriate. So when we've looked at this in the week, we've we've me and Jack in particular, we've looked at a name to kind of pitch to you, have an idea, have a talk about, chat about. Uh, Jack, I'm making you go first. Well, I have to caveat my section here no, in don't. terms of who I've picked out. I, I do actually because you two went first, <laughs> so uh-huh. you two got to look at the shortlist before me, um, and that meant I had to go pretty late on and uh, and pick whoever was left. Yeah. Um, and I've gone, I've gone with Eilis Bebu of uh, Hoffenheim. Um, now, I, yeah, I can already hear the muttering player from Germany. Yeah, all right, cheers. <laughs> right, I know he plays in the Bundesliga. It's all I had, guys. So anyway, um, Eilis Bebu, someone who I've looked at for a little while, not someone who I've been tracking the data for at all, um, but um, stylistically, um, in terms of his approach, uh, seems to be very similar to Antonio, which is why he's someone that's always jumped out. Um, Quite flexible in terms of being able to play on the wing or up front. Has a decent but not particularly exciting uh, record in the Bundesliga for goals um, but where he is good is uh, uh, some of you will remember Andre Kramer actually played for Leicester who's been a really lethal and prolific striker in Germany there's a reason why I'm not interested in him and why I'm interested in Bebu and that's because whilst Kramer is scoring the goals and his finishing has generally been pretty good um, kind of in the similar way to why I probably wouldn't have looked at Allaire um, who are similar in Germany. I'm now looking, I'm, I'd rather look at the player who's dragging all of the players around a Cramrich away and creating that space through good hold up play, through good runs in behind, through good um, awareness of space, uh, from being in the right areas in the box to create space, spaces in behind in the box or, you know, whatever it may be. So Eilis Bebu is someone who, to me, looks like a good fit in all of those senses. I'm not sure that he's got a particularly bad injury history, which is always a good thing when you're looking at anyone is to just have a brief look um, at how many injuries they've had over recent years. He tends to be a pretty consistent uh, fixture in the Hoffenheim side. Uh, And then the only issue um, or the main issue um, when it comes to Bebu is system, which is um, 
one of the things we talked about earlier. And Hoffenheim have played a bunch of different systems this season, but often tend to play uh, with two strikers, Kramerich often featuring alongside him um, or as a 10 in behind him. Um, and initially that doesn't look great for Bebu, but um, where it does look okay is when you consider that really his role is in terms of, is, is to create space and dominate the centre-backs. And actually, if you look at what we do, that's often what Antonio offers to bring players like Bowen, Ben Rama and Fornals into space to then score goals from deeper areas. So he does look like an interesting one. I think, um, you know, I've had, I've probably had the most difficult job here because these two have got better picks. Um, mm. And certainly Eilis Bebu isn't one that I would be looking at as a priority. Um, but were other options to fail? Um, I think... It probably isn't worth a huge amount of money because he doesn't have the most uh, sort of glitzy scoring record over a long period in Germany, but um, would be one to keep an eye on for sure. Just before before you, but who who would you have other options? I mean, you don't have to go in depth on them, obviously, but who were the names for you originally then? If we take just you know, the sub. Well, it's a massive spoiler because it's the two you've got. Well, I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm flexible. I'm always flexible. Look at me. Um, but... <laughs> Who, who were your choices? It doesn't matter. I mean, it's not Series 7 of Game of Thrones. I mean, it doesn't really matter. Seku Koita and Andrea Bellotti. Those are really my top two. Um, okay. And they're the ones you two have picked. Uh, also, Marcus <laughs> Turan, maybe. But but less, yeah. much less so than the two that I've just named. I haven't got to this list before you, Jack. I kept it pretty simple, to be honest. You know, no hipster picks. No unknown names that people aren't going to have heard of. I've gone for... I've probably discussed there, Belossi. A little bit because I like him anyway. I've always liked him. I've liked him for the last few years. He has certainly caught the eye. And a little bit because I know his his name's going to come up at least every two pages in the knees up mother bound transfer thread. So I thought, you know, whilst we're here. I think he's out of contract in the summer. He was at one time an absolute internet darling, but he's now stayed at Torino for a few years, maybe longer than people would have expected. They're they sat in 11th. You know, they're not going to go down. They're not really going to push the European places. Probably a few months left on his deal. He's probably somewhat gettable by that metric that you can't definitely define um and he's made a pretty good he's maintained a pretty good scoring record in Serie A over the last few seasons as well I mean not at his peak it was 26 goals in a year a few years ago but still always over the tens I think on top of that he's not particularly bad with the ball at his feet I mean which as we kind of discussed before it's essential for what we do in this team for someone who can carry the ball who can get involved and be assisting others as well um what are the numbers say to you, Cal, on Belotti? Yeah, uh, do you know what? Actually, pretty good. Um, he's a player who previously I'd kind of written off because I thought, well, if he's that good, he'd have gone elsewhere. Uh, so I'd never really looked into it that much. But since looking, I was surprised. Uh, they're actually very similar to Antonio in, in a lot of departments. Um, so thinking back to the ones that, that we mentioned as being important earlier, um, he's got a very similar number of dribbles per 90, uh, 2.72. I think Antonio's got 2.79. Um, but he's actually got a higher success rate. So almost 60% of his dribbles are successful um, as compared to Antonio, who's around 53. So that that's good. That bodes well. It means that when he's carrying the ball up the pitch, he, he's going to be able to take on his man and, and hopefully not stifle too many counters. Um, in terms of his attacking outputs as well, uh, shots per 90, slightly more than Antonio. Uh, that's great. Um, his non-penalty goals in the last year have, have dipped uh, compared to his uh, record in previous seasons. Um, but his XG is not that worse off. So either he's on a dip or he's just in a bit of a bad spell. Um, is he getting the nothing, same game nothing. time, Cal? 
No, so that's it. Um, they, I think Torino have got a new manager this season. I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure. Um, so I think they've sort of had a change of system and he's not he's not been on the pitch as much. He's only started four games this season. Uh, and obviously in those previous seasons, he was starting pretty much every game. Like he was the first name on the team sheet. Um, so yeah, that's that's Jack's rightly pointed that out. Uh, that's that's It's something that exists in the numbers, but it's something that with context, we, we're not too concerned about, I, I shouldn't think. Um, and yeah, that's numbers-wise, that's pretty much it. He's also um, got pretty good expected assists as well, which is something I pointed out earlier as being quite important. Um, we want a striker who can provide just as much as he can score uh, in terms of the fluid attack that we operate with. Uh, so yeah, I think really looking at the numbers, I think he'd be a pretty solid option. And uh, obviously with his contract situation, it could be one that's done on the cheap as well. Cheeky one there from you, Chris. I didn't realise you could uh, use Cal to back up your entire argument. If I'd known that, I probably would have used it myself. <laughs> some, of us, some of us work hard. Some of us are smart enough to get other people to work hard for them. But that's really all I am on this podcast. It's a, very much a man who gets other people to work hard for him. And whilst I'm there and you making that point, have, have either of you watched much of Bellotti? No. <laughs> don't, yeah, not this season. Not don't this ask season. I've not watched much Serie A. I just, I just, I just, I'm, I'm wary as ever of just can he play up front on his own? I mean, you have to, I, a lot of that on the stats. He's a lone striker, yeah. yeah. Torino, even this year, the system's been a lone striker. Um, previously, it's. I think he's excelled in 4-2-3-1s largely, so I, I wouldn't be too concerned about that. Um, he's played for, no, but T- Torino for a long time have played a 3-4-2-1, a right? With like the two supportive midfielders who play almost like yeah. two attacking midfielders. Like, I don't know, yeah, is yeah. it Sasha Lukic who plays... Um, as an uh, attacking midfielder on one side, I can't remember who the guy on the other side yeah, is. Yeah, they've got Josip Brekolo this season. Yeah, Brekolo's um, in there this season. Yeah, and then I think Dennis Pratt as well, maybe. If I if I remember correctly, Jack, you, you really like a three two a three four two one system where we yeah, defend like it. that. Yeah, <laughs> for West Ham in particular, you, that's what you love. If I remember well, correctly, maybe he's the missing piece. Maybe that's <laughs> what it needs for the system to work. So bring him in. You see what I did there? I, I went to the right person as well to do my work for me because you didn't know anything, but Cal did. So, I mean, it's, it's a skill to it, honestly. It is now my time to chuck in my suggestion and I'll be as quick as I possibly can. Uh, and I think, yeah, Jack mentioned him earlier. He came out top in our model, uh, Seku Koita for Salzburg, who obviously have a very rich history of developing ridiculously good attacking talent. Um, obviously, Haaland everybody knows about him Dakar who scored upwards of 30 goals for Salzburg last season and has since earned a, a move in the region of 25 mil to Leicester um, and has looked pretty impressive in his brief cameo appearances so far um, yeah Koita I believe is how you pronounce it um, really exciting talent unfortunately hasn't appeared much this season because he's still on the road to recovery after sustaining a cruciate ligament tear in pre-season which is the one and probably only red flag about him is that he's a 21 years old and he's missed over 50 games in his career already from various muscle and ligament injuries, which is... Mm. It's amazing that Salzburg can, can cover that with Okafor and, and Adi well, that's They've got it. three wildly young yeah. strikers. They've got Adi, Amy, Okafor and then Benjamin Sheshko as well, who's like the, the new young striker that's coming yeah. through and, and absolutely battered it last season for Liefering, uh, yeah, which is like their under. So... Um, yeah, I mean, he's 21 years old, plays for Mali. He scored his first goal for the Malian men's national team at 16 years old on his debut in AFCON, which is just 
ridiculous. Like a 16 year old playing men's international football is is testament to clearly his potential and ability. Yeah. Um, he's pacey. He's pretty strong for his size. Technically, he's very gifted, uh, and he's a really good dribbler. Um, his finishing's brilliant. He scored 17 goals last season. Uh, only played 1700 minutes. So it's like just less than a goal per 90. I think it's 0.88, which is yeah clearly impressive. Um, he's quite one footed which is perhaps another red flag, but it depends how much onus you put on that. I mean, um, his left foot is great. He he looks to use his left foot quite often, but clearly he's been doing it to good effect because he's still banging in the goals. So if he's worked out a way where he can do that, then so be it. I'm not, I'm not too asked. Um, and he's bringing players into That's the game. Analytics. Got- That's his analytics. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. He got seven assists last season as well. Uh, so his, Direct goal contributions in total were 24, uh, so 1.24 per game, which is ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, I mean, for me, he would be first choice. I'm not sure how much Salzburg would want for him, but if you go on the fact that they let Daka go for about 25 mil, then... Well, the Salzburg <laughs> model is is not to, to hang yeah, on to players. The, exactly. The producer regularly is. It's like once there's a decent fee, they'll go. So it's, they yeah. don't, you know, they're not hanging along and hanging on for, for, for huge... Exactly. It's just, you know, it's just... Keep it going. Conveyor. Well, that's why it's a sustainable model as well, is that they just have that talent that just keeps coming and then they just keep keep challenging. So they've, they've got Adiemi before. I and mean, I think we've agreed in conversation before we'd love Adiemi, but he's too good. He it's, wouldn't come. Out, out yeah, it. he's... Well, I think he's pretty much done for Barca now I've seen today um, so yeah he's 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 yeah he would be first choice in any model but he'd be first choice for Liverpool Inter Barca like any club he's just he one of the most exciting striker talents in, in world football at the minute and based on form um, so yeah we, we just ruled him out from the off because it's just not not realistic as much as we would like him but yeah I think Koita represents a really exciting striker and offers exactly what we would want uh, as a striker in our system his movement's excellent he's a very very good dribbler he's prolific and he also brings in attackers gets assists regularly um, so yeah I mean that, like I said at the start the only red flag is that injury record and and if you're looking to bring in someone who can compete with Antonio having two strikers that have fairly dodgy track records with injury maybe isn't the best but it just depends what the deal is if you can get good value it's a risk but the upside is very very high because his potential is just outrageously good any any others I mean I I was going to ask you there's a few that names that float around especially on the forms etc so we we, I I I touched on Slozek briefly yeah I mean I, I suppose the, the three I'd ask you, but I, I'll do it quickly because we could, we could talk about these all night and there's a whole, there's a 30 person list. It's, and I'm going to go through Hosek, it's Bayo, Clement. So I know we've been linked to before and name of the, he's kind of a hot name at the moment is Brierton Diaz. And I'll go for Brierton Diaz uh, at Blackburn. I mean, yeah. those are going to be linked. I mean, and you're going to, cause he's causing a bit of a buzz. They're going to be linked on a lot of people's, it's going to be names on people's lips. Um, I, I can, I, I suppose it's how they compare. <laughs> yeah. Jack, you go. Klozak, uh, really exciting, uh, golden boy of Czech football. A uh, lot of noise about him uh, with the Kratinsky investment, uh, plays for um, Sparta Prague. So uh, people seem pretty hot on the idea of this possibly happening. Uh, 
can play up front, but has tended to move more towards the left and also a number 10 role more recently, which is uh, kind of a big red flag if we're signing him to be um, an understudy to Antonio because I think his role is changing to being somewhere a little bit deeper in the side. Um, but really exciting player and definitely someone that we should look at. Um, I think, you know, I think there's all, all the noises about him are really positive. Everything anyone's seen seems to be really positive. So, um, yeah, uh, definitely an exciting player on Mohamed Bayo, uh, uh, Clement. Uh, that's a wonderful story, Clement, uh, getting into Liga. Uh, Bayo has been really crucial, uh, to their rise. Very, very, very small team that uh, uh, have arrived into the top division in France. Um, but it is just that it's a wonderful story. And, um, the idea that Bayo is going to continue this form over a sustainable and long period of time, possible, but reminds me a lot of Belay Dia's form uh, last season where he went through this hot streak um, that, that didn't last. And he did get his move to Villarreal and he has done a decent job since he's gone to Villarreal. But I think it says a lot that Dan Juma's moved up front to play as a striker there and Belay mm-hmm. Dia's not the, the, the chosen number nine there. Um, so that's quickly on those two. And the last name was... Brereton Diaz. Diaz, uh, for me, uh, I appreciate the meme value, uh, but uh, <laughs> I'm not into it as a, as a backup striker um, for Antonio. Also, I think just he's been quite flexible across the front three, and I think he tends to play yeah. with uh, more players advanced with him rather than being left alone at the top end of the pitch to drive counters. I think he's often got more bodies around him. So stylistically, I'm not sure he would be an excellent Agreed. fit uh, one name that i will throw in just because i love him and i've ha- and i've had him around uh, just on notes uh, in notebooks for, for ages and ages and ages is um tino cadawere uh, yeah. uh leon i love <laughs> this guy i think he's i think um he's got a lot of the attributes to be a really great striker it hasn't really come together for him yet um not since his move to leon anyway he did really really well in uh, league at le havre um and he has, has actually fallen out of um, the Lyon team uh, this season as uh, Lucas Paqueta has been converted into a, into a number nine. He's a, he's a great player, Paqueta. Really good. Um, and that's kept it can be completely away from, from the first team. But he, he, I think he would be available really cheap <laughs> um, and, and has a lot of the attributes that could mean that he could become an excellent striker. It's more of a developmental thing, but definitely for someone who would play as, as a, almost certain understudy and won't play all the time. Similar sort of to the Eilis Bebu thing. Um, the numbers don't necessarily look wonderful, but um, when you when you watch him, he looks like someone who you go, well, he could end up being really, really good in the future. So yeah, definitely a name to keep around in the in the hat. So with Ogbonna's recent injury and the news that he looks to be out for at least a season, if not longer, we here at the KUMB podcast have had a look at new centre-backs on what we can do and we've moved on to our resident recruitment guru Callum to have a look at who we could be bringing in and the left side of our defence. So first on our list is uh, Sven Botman, a name that many of you will already be familiar with if you follow the tabloid rumour mills with any interest. Uh, he's currently playing for Lille in Ligue 1. Uh, he's 6 foot 4, 21 years old and his contract expires in 2025. Um, Lille won the league on title last season, quite surprisingly, actually. Um, and Botman was absolutely crucial to that success. So uh, it's, it's no surprise, really, that his name has been linked to a number of clubs. Uh, since then, however, Lille have fallen really out of form. Uh, they're currently sat in 12th. Um, and French football in general, to be honest, is in absolute chaos. Uh, we saw it happen in the Marseille-Lyon game the other day. Um, so, I mean, it's fair to assume, really, that Botman will probably be looking for a move sometime in the not-so-distant future. Um, 
whilst there's no doubt in my mind or anyone's mind really that a tall young centre-back that wins 75% of his defensive duels and averages eight progressive passes per game would be a great addition to uh, West Ham's back line, the likelihood of him arriving in East London does seem to be quite slim. Um, Botman has already established himself as one of Europe's most exciting centre-backs, although perhaps not in the best form of his life at the minute. Um, so we can assume that there's going to be a lot of clubs after his signature. Um, I think last summer Liverpool and United were chasing him uh, amongst a host of other clubs. Um, obviously this season he is playing Champions League football, but next season that's not going to be on the cards at Lille. So I imagine all these elite European clubs will probably be coming back in for him. Uh, and unfortunately for us, that just means that we won't be able to compete financially with the likes of United, Liverpool. So for me, this one, probably not a goer. Next up on our list is uh, Mark Oliver Kemp, someone I've been a fan of for a little while now. Uh, he's 26 years old, six foot one, and is currently playing for Stuttgart in the Bundesliga. Uh, I think the most intriguing thing for me, though, is that his contract is actually running out at the end of the season. So we could get him in on the cheap in January or if we can afford to wait a free at the end of the season. Um this isn't just a good deal because he's cheap, though. Um, he actually performs better than Ogbonna in almost every metric. Uh, he's better in the air. Uh, he has a very similar defensive dual rate and uh, actually averages far more progressive passes um, per 90 as well. So really, that's what you want. He's ticking all the boxes in all the areas. So he's a good, good, well-rounded centre-back uh, in the prime of his career, really. Uh, and also, he has plenty of top-level experience. He's clocked over a hundred Bundesliga starts now um, so a lot of top flight football under his belt um, which is probably something we want given that the absence of Ogbonna means there's a lot of experience missing in that back line um, I suppose the, the only real criticism that I'd have or, or query really um, is that Stuttgart tend to set up in a back three with wing backs uh, rather than the back four like we play in um, that to me always always raises some question marks uh, if you're asking him to come in and playing a completely different system to what he's used to, um, that there is always an element of risk with that, I think. Um, but on the whole, great player, good centre-back, represents good value for money, um, and would probably be open to a move uh, in January, assuming he's not in contract talks while I record this. Uh, player number three on my list is Marcos Sanessi. Uh, he currently plays for Feyenoord in the Eredivisie and like Kemp, he's six foot one. Uh, he is slightly younger though, at 24 years old, and he does have an extra year on his contract, which is due to expire in 2023. Uh, the reason I like Sanessi so much is simply that he's an excellent centre-back. Uh, he wins more than 70% of his defensive duels, which is more than Ogbonna, and he's also extremely progressive, both in terms of his passing and his ability to carry the ball up the pitch. Um, another reason, I guess, is that be desperate to get into that national team uh, he's yet to make an appearance but with the world cup on the horizon he'll surely be looking to catch scaloni's eye um honestly there's not really many reasons that i wouldn't be looking at him the only only query that i might have is that there's going to be some other clubs after him especially if he makes it obvious that he's he's vying for a move uh, i know Mourinho's shown an interest um, but i wouldn't be too put off by that uh, next up on the list, we've got the American Man Mountain that is John Brooks. He's 28 years old, six foot four, currently playing for Wolfsburg in the Bundesliga, and he's another one who's 
contract is expiring at the end of the season, so could be done on the cheap. Uh, compared to some of the other players on the list, he's perhaps not as exciting, but I still think this is a transfer that makes a lot of sense, to be honest. Uh, one thing we know is that Moyes likes height and experience in his defenders, and Brooks, at six foot four, with 200 Bundesliga appearances and 45 international caps, has both of those ticked off. Uh, aside from that, he's also just a very solid defender, uh, and he has Champions League experience, so I mean, what's not to love, eh? Um, the only reason I might might steer clear of him is just perhaps he's not an ideal long-term squad-building option. Uh, like I said, less attractive. But um, Ogbono was playing some of his best football last season at 33 years old, and, and Dawson was playing pretty good footy at the age of 30. So I wouldn't pay much credence to that, to be honest. Um, yeah, as far as I'm concerned, decent option. And the final player on our list is Marseille's Duye Cheletasar, a player we've been heavily linked with for a good few windows now. Uh, he's another tall option at six foot four. Uh, he's 25, so a little bit younger than Brooks, and his contract is expiring in 2023. Um, a left-footed centre-back's been on our shopping list for a while now, to be honest, but I think rumours have probably intensified with the arrival of former Marseille scout Georges Santos, uh, who will obviously know him well. Uh, for me, this is probably the most realistic of the five centre-backs that I've talked about, and honestly, I think it would be a pretty good move, all things considered. Um, the three most important things I'd be looking for aerial ability ball playing ability and defensive competency Gillette Asar is better than Ogbonna in all three departments perfect um, the only red flag is that he's currently fourth choice in the uh, Croatia setup um, but he maybe would look at the move as an opportunity to show his quality and get back into that team so I think yeah why not good move and with that, we have solved every crisis and riddle West Ham will face this January and even maybe the summer too, considering the speed that uh, this club goes out with its recruitment. I hope you've enjoyed that dive into the details, numbers and names, but do keep an eye on the website and both Cow's and Knees Up Mother Brown's Twitter feeds for articles and threads with an even deeper dive with even more options for you. Um, over the next few weeks, we'll be keeping up to date with the rumours, reports and ridiculous suggestions the internet loves to give us. But until then, good night. Right, so we're here in the offices of a late late show with the host of a late late show, James Corden. Hi. Big West Ham fan. Yes. <laughs> and big knees up Mother Brown man. Yeah. Yeah, I'm regularly on the general discussion page. There's always someone who's got some information, so I love it, yeah. yeah. It's great. Yes, it's kind excitement of. surrounded by imminent disappointment. <laughs> that's what it that's what it mostly is. Get on the forum at KUMB.com. Come on, you irons.